Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 6, as we read the verses 12 through 17. Let us hear the word of God. I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless and apply the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts. Dear friends, all of human history is moving towards one final goal. And that goal is the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In fact, everything that happens in our world, plagues, natural disasters, wars, and the rise and fall of nations and empires, it all serves to propel us further and further towards this goal. But what will that day be like? What will happen on earth and in heaven when our Lord comes again in his glory? During the past number of weeks, we have been reflecting together on the first six seals. You may recall that each of these seven seals represent various judgments that God will send on the earth between the first and second comings of Christ. The first four of these seals unleash the so-called four horsemen of the apocalypse, where the white horse represents conquest, the red horse represents war, the black horse represents economic upheaval, and the pale horse represents death due to disease and plague. The fifth seal represents justice, which is demanded by the martyred saints under the altar. Well, now we come to the sixth seal described in our text in Revelation 6, verses 12 to 17. The sixth seal represents fear, in particular, the fear associated with the second coming of Christ, referred to in verse 12 as the great day of wrath. Here in these verses, we have God's response to the cry of the martyrs. The martyrs cried for vengeance, and now God answers their cry. He comes in judgment to punish the wicked and to vindicate the righteous. Now significantly, this final outpouring of the divine wrath upon mankind is described under the sixth seal. According to Revelation 13 verse 18, 
The number six, or rather 666, is the number of man. So just as seven in the book of Revelation is the number of completion and salvation, so six is the number of man. And as such, it is appropriate for God to pour out his wrath after the opening of this particular seal. Well, with this in mind, and God's help, let's consider these verses under the theme, the day of God's wrath. And we'll see that this is a day, first of all, of cosmic upheaval, secondly, of universal terror, and thirdly, it contains a solemn warning. The day of Christ's second coming will be a day of cosmic upheaval. Look again at verses 12 to 14. There John writes, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place." Now John here in these verses mentions six upheavals that God will send on the earth corresponding to the number of man. First of all, he says there will be a great earthquake. Now earthquakes often accompany a divine visitation in scripture. There was an earthquake when God appeared on Mount Sinai. We read of that in Exodus 19 verse 18. As well as when our Lord gave up his spirit on the cross. But the scriptures predict that there will be a great earthquake at the last day as well that will affect not just a local area, but the entire world. The whole earth will be shaken. Secondly, John says that the sun will become black as sackcloth of hair. Now sackcloth is a heavy cloth made from goat's hair that's black in color and usually worn during times of mourning. The idea is that the light of the sun will become completely extinguished. It will be like somebody put a sackcloth of hair on the sun. The entire world will be shrouded in complete and utter darkness. Thirdly, John says the moon will become like blood. Now some have speculated that this worldwide earthquake will produce catastrophic volcanic activity which will spew ash and smoke throughout the atmosphere, and that this in turn will cause the darkening of the sun and the reddening of the moon. That's very possible. Fourthly, John mentions the stars of heaven will fall to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Now, since a star is much bigger than the earth, the word here probably refers not to stars as such, but rather to asteroids or meteors. Asteroids and meteors will fall on the earth like rain and a heavy downpour, causing unimaginable destruction and chaos. John says it will be like a fig tree shaken by the wind. When a fig tree is full of ripe figs, the slightest gust of wind will bring them all tumbling down. Now a mighty wind would bring them down completely and suddenly. And so the picture here is one of complete destruction. Fifthly, John says the sky will recede as a scroll when it is rolled up. Now a scroll is a long piece of paper that's rolled up on one or even both ends. And when you want to read what's on the scroll, you have to unroll it. 
And when you're finished reading what's on the scroll, you roll it back up again. And that's the idea here. The entire sky will be rolled up like a scroll. The clouds will disappear as well as the sun, the moon, the stars, and the planets, everything in the entire universe. There will be one huge expanse of nothingness. Sixthly, we read here that every mountain and island will be moved out of its place. Now, mountains and islands are pictures of permanence. They've always been there, and they have not moved for centuries until now. Imagine setting the table for supper and then banging on it with your fist as hard as you can. What will happen to the plates and the cutlery? Well, they will shake and clatter and move, and so it will be at the end of days. The mountains and islands will literally be moved out of their place. The point is, the last day will bring unimaginable upheaval on the earth. And I wonder if that frightens you today. It should if you're not saved. For this will be only the beginning of the terrors that you will experience on that day. But if you are saved, you have nothing to fear from these things, for none of these things can harm you. The psalmist of Psalm 46 writes, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. The psalmist here describes the most extreme catastrophe imaginable, the earth being removed and the mountains being cast into the midst of the sea not unlike what we read here in our text. And he wants to emphasize this point that with God as our refuge and strength, we have nothing, absolutely nothing to fear. And the same is true for believers on the last day. There will be terrible events that will take place when Christ comes again, but if we are in Christ, we have nothing to fear. So the day of God's wrath is a day of cosmic upheaval. But it will also be a day of universal terror. And that brings us to our second point. As you can imagine, the terrible upheavals in creation produce great and terrible fear. Terror and dread among the inhabitants of the earth. And John describes this in verses 15 to 17. He says, the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? So just as there are six upheavals There are also six classes of men representing all segments of human society. John begins at the top with the kings of the earth. For as Peter says, there is no respect of persons with God. These are the rulers of the nations who, according to Psalm 2, set themselves and who took counsel together against the Lord. And against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. But as the psalmist predicted, the Lord will laugh at them 
and hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. He shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. And that's exactly what happens here on the great day of the wrath of God. Next to the kings are the great men, the commanders and the mighty men. These are their deputies, princes, cabinet ministers, generals of the army, admirals of the navy, who together with the kings plotted to overthrow God and his anointed son. The rich are also included here, since they are the ones who finance this operation. And so are the slaves and the free men. For although they were not behind this plot to overthrow God, they were nonetheless complicit and supportive of it. And therefore they too deserve the wrath and judgment of God. And what is more, they knew it was coming. That's why they hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And as they did, instead of crying out to the Lord in repentance, they cried to the mountains and said, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Significant, isn't it, that the wicked knew that the cosmic upheavals they were witnessing were manifestations of the wrath of God against sin. They knew that God was coming in judgment. They knew that this was the day of God's wrath. Now how they knew that, we don't know. It's likely they knew this because of the witness of persecuted Christians in these days. As Christians were being brought before kings and rulers, we can imagine them testifying of the coming judgment. We can imagine them declaring that one day God would come in wrath and destroy them unless they repented. Well, now that day had come, and they knew it. And you'll notice, too, that instinctively the wicked knew that they could not stand before God as they were. Why not? Well, because they had sinned, and they had come short of the glory of God. And as such, they deserved eternal condemnation in hell. And yet, in their twisted way of thinking, like Adam and Eve, they thought they could hide from the presence of God and thus to avoid his punishment. This is exactly what Jesus said would happen. In Luke 23, verse 30, Jesus said to the daughters of Jerusalem, as he was being led away to be crucified, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For indeed, the days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and breasts which never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Now Jesus here was referring, of course, to the fall and destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. The destruction, he said, will be so terrible that the inhabitants of Jerusalem will cry to the mountains to fall on them and to the hills to cover them. And in so doing, they foreshadow the destruction of the wicked at the end of time. They too, like their forebears, like those who perished in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, they too will call on the mountains and the hills to cover them so as to avoid the wrath and the judgment of God. But in this they could not be more mistaken, for no one can hide from God. The psalmist said, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? 
If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God sees and knows all things. There's no place we can go to hide from him. But the wicked think they can. They do so now. And they will do so when our Lord returns, which only adds to their guilt and their sin before God. My friend, what about you today? One day we too will have to stand before God. Are you able to do this? By nature, none of us are. In Psalm 130, verse 3, the psalmist asked, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And that's a rhetorical question, meaning the answer is implied. And what's the answer? The answer is no one. Why not? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul in Romans 3, quoting Psalm 14, describes our condition like this. He says, There's none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. My friends, whether we want to admit it or not, whether we see it or not, that's our condition by nature before God. We are hell-deserving, damnable sinners. Is that how you see yourself today? Well, this is so necessary. Because unless we see our sin, we will not see our need for Christ. And if we do not see our need for Christ... We will not come to him and we will not believe on him. And if we do not come to him and believe on him, we will surely perish. And so we must ask the Lord to open our eyes, to see ourselves for who and what we really are, unworthy, hell-deserving sinners who need to be saved. And for such sinners there is hope. The psalmist of Psalm 130 says as much after asking if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? And in response to that question, the psalmist adds these words, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Oh, did you hear that? There is forgiveness with you. We have sinned against this God. And as such, we deserve his eternal wrath and condemnation. And yet there is forgiveness with him. How can that be? Will God suspend his justice in order to be merciful? Not at all. He cannot do so. God is both merciful and just. He cannot be one at the expense of the other. And that's why he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. If God would allow sin to go unpunished, he would not be just. And if God was not just, he would not be God. So how then can there be forgiveness with God? Oh, you see, the answer is provided in his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him, the mercy and the justice of God come to full expression. For Christ took the wrath of God for sin upon himself. And he did that when he suffered and died on the cross 
And he also earned for his people the righteousness that they need in order to stand before God and live. And he did that by keeping the law of God perfectly all the days of his life. And when we repent of our sins and believe on his name, the gospel tells us that our sins can and will be forgiven. And the imputed righteousness of Christ will become ours. And we will have the gift of everlasting life. And so if you've not believed on this Savior, my friend, I urge you, do so today. Cry out to him to cover you rather than the rocks and the mountains, and he most certainly will. For this is why he came. This is why he suffered. This is why he died and rose again. Look to him. Cry out to him. And the promise of the gospel is, you shall live. So the day of God's wrath is a day of universal terror. But it also proclaims a solemn warning. And that brings us to our third and final point. The day of God's wrath and the terrors that accompany this day should serve as a somber warning to all of us. In the first place, it should serve as a warning to believers Specifically, it should serve as a warning not to put our tent pegs too deeply into this world. Now we know this, the Bible warns us against that in several places. It tells us that we are but pilgrims and strangers on the earth, and yet how many of us do this? Also in the church. There are so many also in the church who live as though this world and this life is all that there is. But my friends, this world and this life is not all that there is. Here we have no continuing city. We are but strangers and pilgrims on the earth making our way to a better city whose maker and builder is God, a city that has foundations that will never be destroyed. And so let us live that way not hankering for the world and the things of the world, for this world and everything in it one day shall be utterly destroyed. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break through and steal. Instead, he said, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or are you living like that today? This should also serve as a warning not to become lax with regard to our sanctification. Peter warns against this in 2 Peter 3, 10 to 12. He says that the day of the Lord, the day that's described here in our text, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up Therefore, he says, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Oh, do you see what Peter is saying here? He's reminding us that this world and everything in it one day will be destroyed by fire. And rather than make us lax, this should spur us on to greater and greater godliness. Why? Because that's what matters. 
If we live for the world, we'll perish with the world. But if we live for God, we will live forever. Oh, since that is so, let us live with a view to the day of God's wrath and the coming of his judgment. Secondly, the day of God's wrath should serve as a somber warning to unbelievers. If you are not a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you are not trusting in him and living for him, then the terror and the dread that seize the wicked in our text will also seize you. And like them, you too will cry out to the mountains and to the hills to cover you, to hide you from the holy gaze of the judge of all the earth. But they won't. And even if they did, the piercing eye of God will see you. And you will have to stand before him whether you like it or not. And you'll have to give an account of yourself before him. And if you are not in Christ, you will have no defense. You'll be found guilty as charged. And you'll be cast into hell. And there you will remain for an everlasting eternity. Only your punishment will be far greater. For unlike many others, you have heard the gospel. You've heard this message. You've been warned about the final judgment and the day of God's wrath, but you didn't listen. You simply went on living in and for the world, and you will have to face the consequences of that choice. And you will suffer the wrath of God, my friend. In May of 1980, geologists noticed warning signs that Mount St. Helens in Washington State would soon erupt. Perhaps some of you remember that day. There was a man there, lived there, by the name of Harry Truman. He was actually named for the former president of the United States. And he was the caretaker of a lodge on Spirit Lake, which was about five miles north of the volcanic mountain. He heard the warnings being broadcast on the radio and on the television. But when the police evacuated the area, Truman refused to budge. Friends contacted him. They urged him to flee, but Harry did not listen to them. He even appeared on television, laughing away the danger. But at 8.31 a.m. on May the 18th, 1980, the mountain exploded, and millions of tons of rock flew 10 miles into the sky. Concussion waves crashed down the mountain faster than the speed of sound. And everything within 150 square miles was completely and utterly destroyed. Afterward, there was no sign of Harry Truman. He was destroyed in a cataclysm that he had foolishly denied and that he could easily have escaped until the moment it came. My friend, do not become another Harry Truman. Seek the Lord today while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or if you have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 
Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. And that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. And when you write, please indicate the call letters of this station. If you do take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. And in this booklet, Pastor Neil Pronk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, and we hope and trust it will be a rich blessing to you. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at banneroftruthradio.com. Support for, the, for, the, for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. And for more information about our churches, you can log on to our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.